another opportunity to, to dive into God's Word again tonight. We are looking through a series that we just called Glow, and, and the idea behind it is that we are called to be lights in a dark world, but also kind of combining another idea of looking through, particularly, this is kind of a little, little sub-goal that we've got um, that I may or may not have articulated, but uh, looking through kind of the Old Testament in particular. Um, we spend a lot of time in the New Testament for good reason. But looking through kind of some of the Old Testament stories that we see um, men and women that are glowing, that, that are doing incredible things for God. Um, last week we looked through the story of Moses and seeing that uh, Moses trusting in God even when the circumstances seemed dire and what God was able to do in that situation. Today we're looking at, if you have your note sheet, I wrote down, God can do the impossible. We're going to kind of follow um, Moses in terms of leadership, leadership, kind of the way they, they went. And after Moses, there was a man named Joshua. Joshua came along and did some really probably, um, I wouldn't say more incredible things than Moses, but, but some of the things that we see and read about during Joshua's life and, and leading Israel are truly incredible. He's kind of, Joshua had a really tough task. Because most of the people, you remember, Moses led Israel roughly 40 years um, and, and was leading them through. And so in that, you had a certain generation that, was, that saw God's power, that saw God deliver them time and time again. They fell away. They came back. They, they experienced this. Joshua, just kind of in the timeline of Israel, kind of got a new generation of people that didn't have the same connection and experiences and remember uh, memories that the people that Moses led. Even though they, they really are the same group, um, they're still slaves that are being brought out into the land that God has promised, but, but they're a different generation of that group, same families, uh, but a little different mentality. And so God knows that um, in His infinite wisdom that He is going to have to help Joshua in regards to getting these people bought in, to believe that they are serving the one true God of Israel, that Joshua is the hand-selected leader. That's exactly what he was. He picked Joshua out of anybody that he wanted. He picked Joshua knowing the heart that Joshua had. And so I want to look at two miraculous things that happened very early on in Joshua's kind of leading of Israel. The first one is just crossing Jordan. If you see and look at a map of Israel, um, the Jordan River kind of connects two larger bodies of water. And if you notice and look historically at when this probably happened, um, that in the springtime, the, 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 the Jordan River in the springtime, after all of the, it actually gets incredibly cold there uh, at certain parts and snows and things like this. Um, and so when all that melts and it begins to cut, the, the water in the Jordan can get incredibly fast and incredibly dangerous. It's still that way today. Um, you ask Mitch and Sharon if they see that when they're over there, um, or right around this time, the rapids start really picking up in the Jordan. So when you consider that historically, this is probably when they would have been crossing this, Joshua and the, and the nation of Israel, this would not have been an easy task. Remember, they had hundreds of thousands of, sl of slaves that were with them um, that were God's people. So I want to look in Joshua chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, and we're going to start, and most of our text is going to come from the book of Joshua, uh, but we're going to look in Joshua chapter 3 and, and kind of look at what 
God has to say in, in regards to this. Um, so so he, Israel, all these people are trying to cross, and, and Joshua is this relatively new leader that is having to get these kind of obstinate people that really don't aren't buying into what God is wanting to do anyway, and he's having to get them to cross this very fast-moving body of water. And if we look in Joshua 3, let's start and look in verse 8, and then we'll jump ahead a little bit. Um, actually, let's look in, in, in 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel. God knows that Israel is not looking at Joshua the way that he should. And so he says, Today begins this. I'm going to exalt you in the sight of Israel that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua is the guy. God had chosen him, and, and there, there's no uh, mincing words about this, but of course Israel's the one who's having to be convinced about this. In verse 8, And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the, the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. In essence, God is saying, listen, I am going to do the impossible for you. When you come and you come to this, the Jordan, and regardless of what it seems like to you from an earthly perspective, if you trust in me the way Moses did, you, I will make the Jordan stand still for you. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord. Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Prezerites, uh, the Gishites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant, verse 11, of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe take a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the Jordan the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters shall, the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Can you imagine this? He is telling hundreds of thousands of people, listen, this is the God that you're serving. This is the God of Israel. This is the God of Abraham. This is the God of Moses. And, and he's saying, when all of this goes on, when you enter into the Jordan, I will stop the water from flowing. God is capable of doing the impossible. Jo Joshua's entire life and, and ministry, if you want to call it that, with God is full of the impossible. It's full. We're going to look here in a minute. When Joshua and the nation of Israel is, is fighting its enemies, and Joshua, when we did our series back in the summer, The Incredible, Incredible, if you remember that series, we looked at when God literally stopped the sun in midair because Joshua asked for it. This is the life that Joshua became accustomed to, and much of it, and what we're going to focus on tonight, is that relationship that Joshua has with God and that God has with Joshua in regards to how we're looking at God and His power. How Joshua is able to glow, how Joshua is able to be different because of the trust that he has in God and the power that God gives him because of that trust. They cross the Jordan, and then most of us know this story. Now, after they cross the Jordan, they enter into Jericho. And this is the second kind of incredible miracle that has to happen for, in order for God's people to cross into where they need to go. 
Um, Jericho at this time, we know from uh, archaeology and from history, the walls around Jericho, they had two walls. The first one would have been approximately 20 to 30 feet tall, would have been about six feet wide, a a formidable wall. Now remember, Joshua had no soldiers. These were slaves coming out of Egypt that are now going to where God has promised for them. These are not warriors. And they have these walls that are 30 feet tall, 6 feet wide. Then they had an inner wall that is just as tall, but 12 feet wide. We see in in, in history that that inner wall of Jericho was so wide that they could ride chariots around the inner wall because of the width of it. This was how big of a wall that they are trying to conquer. Look in in Joshua chapter 6. Flip ahead just a few chapters here to Joshua chapter 6, and I want to look starting in verse 2. This is what what God is promising to Joshua and to the nation of Israel. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war going around the city once, thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all of the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up and everyone straight before him. This is the plan that, that God had for Joshua, for the nation of Israel, And it was impossible. These are regular, maybe less than regular. These are slaves that are not trained in any regard. And God says, you don't need any of that. It seems impossible to you, but if you follow my plan, my way of doing things, anything is possible. And he's saying, if you will march around these walls the the correct amount of times, if you will take these ram's horns and blow them the way I'm telling you to in the order that I'm telling you to do it, When I say so, the walls will fall flat. This is the the life that Joshua became used to. What was coming up with impossible odds and God coming in and saying, I'm going to help, I'm going to do whatever it is that you need. I think about, and I'll tell you, this is my homework for you tonight. If you like to read it all, most of you all know I do. Uh, I've read two or three different biographies on Walt Disney. And uh, I encourage you, read, read a biography on Walt Disney. It's an incredible story. But Walt Disney, I began to think about this concept of impossible. Walt Disney was a visionary uh, to the highest order. And Walt Disney coined a phrase called unanimous disagreement that I love. In, and every time I think about Joshua and some of these Old Testament impossible stories, my mind always goes here. The story goes that anytime Walt Disney would come in and pitch these massive dreams, to the board before at, at uh, Disney World, he would always look, and, and, and if everybody was kind of shaking their head no, to some degree it was going to cost too much money, people weren't going to want to come, it was going to be this or this or this. The more people that didn't like it, the better than the more he wanted to do it. Um, if you can believe this, the very first um, theme park that was actually built when he pitched that, it was a unanimous no. The board didn't want any part of it. They said it's going to be too expensive. It's going to be too hot. People aren't going to come. People aren't going to want to do this. But if you know anything about Walt Disney's past, he had a terrible uh, past with an alcoholic father. And, and so that's what really fueled him to bring families together. 
And, and so this, this phrase that he eventually coined, unanimous disagreement, that when the odds are the greatest against you is when the greatest potential for change is. This is when we can really do some incredible things, and that's what happened in Joshua's life. He went up against Jericho, and what ended up happening after Jericho's walls fell? We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Very few of them had any memory of the way God had provided for Moses back some years prior. But when they saw impossible odds, everybody would have shaken their head, no, we can't do this. This is Jericho. Sure enough, God provided, even in impossible odds. And after this is when the nation of Israel began to come and kind of swing back towards God and began to realize that he does have the power that he says he does. Joshua is the leader of the nation of Israel. God is leading Joshua, and with those two components, anything is possible. Do we as Christians embrace the impossible? God can do the impossible, yet we always look at difficult situations. We look at the scope of things, and we think, mm, that's too much of a reach. What if we get rejected? What if, we say, what if somebody says no? Joshua embraced this attitude and ultimately was able to turn hundreds of thousands of people back towards God. I was reading this earlier in the week talking about uh, different things within the church and somebody wrote in, in this blog article, and I love this line, said the church should be careful but not be cautious. When the church, when we as Christians get so overly cautious that we aren't willing to take chances, we're not willing to be bold in our faith, we're not willing to believe that God is capable of doing even what we can't understand is when the, the church automatically goes into decline. It's when the church quits growing, it's when we quit growing. We're, we're, we're told to be careful, we're told to count the cost, we're told to be wise, whether it's in regards to money or new ministries or you going out and talking to somebody new, careful is good. Cautious is not. It, it oftentimes hampers what we're able to do for God. I started to just write down what we can't do and what God can do. I encourage you, if you're sitting at home today, or this week and you need an interesting exercise, begin to jot those things down. It will absolutely floor you. It will also take a tremendous amount of time. I thought I was going to be able to do this in four or five minutes. It ended up taking me about an hour to end up writing all this down and I would scratch some things out and whatever, but I went through some of these and just kind of hit the highlights. But again, in our minds, we would say, this is not possible. This cannot be done. We looked through this just a couple weeks ago. God spoke through a donkey to Balaam. You think back in the Old Testament, what God did through the judges. You think back through what God did with people like Gideon, what God did with people like Samson, what God did with all of some of these Old Testament folks, you think about Paul in the New Testament, what was a persecutor of Christians to the nth degree, converted him over to Christ and then became the greatest disciple, one of the greatest missionaries that we've ever had record of. Seemingly impossible. He had Peter walk on the water. He healed a blind man's blindness with mud. We talk about Joshua, he stopped the sun in midair. We look at when Jesus fed the 5,000, and that was 5,000 men. That didn't even account for women and children. It was probably closer to 20, 25,000, because at that time, women outnumbered men two to one. Thousands upon thousands of people were, were fed with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. That's the God that we serve. 
That's the God that still is, is reigning over His church here today. Yet we, and we talked about this in our Pray series, yet we approach God with these tiny little pre-recorded, pre-thought-of prayers. Joshua's praying to pause the sun, and God answers that. And you and I come with these, with these little, little prayers, and, we're, and really, I think sometimes God wishes, and again, I'm not putting words in God's mouth, but we read through Scripture, and God says time and time again, put me to the test. What if you ask of me in obedience with my will, I'll do it. I'm capable. I can do this. You ever wonder, and I think back to sometimes, I want you to consider whatever your hobby is, whatever, I think about this in regards to woodworking, you all know I like to do that. And every now and then, I like doing projects that I, I know I can do really quick, but every now and then, I like digging into something I've never done before, a technique that I've never tried with a tool I've never used, and, and work my way through it. Usually, there's two or three really awful-looking part A, part B, but it eventually gets there. And, and ultimately, at the end of all that, that is when the best results come, is when you start doing some of these projects that you're unfamiliar with. Now, God is familiar with all of this, but I think the principle is still the same. Why are we not willing to throw God a project that would actually allow Him to do something on a scale that's bigger than us saying, God, will you help so-and-so? Will you do this, this, this? Not to say there's anything wrong with that, but God is the God of the universe that when Joshua had a need, He met it. So my question is, is how do we, we believe that this is the God we serve, the God that talked through Balaam, the God that controlled she-bears in the Old Testament, the God that did all of these incredible stories. How do we tap into this level of connection with God? Because it's not really, we can't fairly say, how do we tap into that power? Because it's not our power to have. It's God's power, but the question we have to ask is, how do we tap into that relationship with God so that we can make those requests known and allow God to go to work. I came up with two thoughts that both surround the book of Joshua. The first one is obey. Time and time again, when we look through Scripture, when we see massive things happening, when we see the church growing by the thousands in the book of Acts, when we see people being converted, when we think about the Philippian jailer, Steve is doing an incredible class on Wednesday nights at the book of Philippians. When we think about the story of the Philippian jailer, always when, when amazing stories like that happen, it is in conjunction, it is a one-for-one -one parallel with doing God's will. When God says, if you will do what I've commanded you to do, don't be surprised when these amazing things happen. This is the way I've planned it. But I want to look through the life of Joshua. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 1 and look at verse 7 and 8. Joshua 1, 7 and 8. It says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God says, Joshua, I'm going to give you all the success that, that you need, but this is where it starts. It starts with obeying the commands that I gave to Moses. It starts with obeying the commands that I'm giving to you. 
And that's going to be the command that he gives us for the rest of eternity. He says, if you will obey me, if you will do what I ask of you, when you petition me for these things, whether they be small or big, I'll grant them. You think about if you have kids or, or all of us were children at one point, you think about when you try to time things, you knew you had to petition mom and dad for something. You always try to couple it with right after chores are done or right after you go do something good. Because as a parent, you are more likely to, to agree to something or give in to something when there's some action, when there's some responsibility that is accompanied with that. There's no, there's no wonder why God has set that as a model for parenting for us because that's the model he has with us. He says, if you'll obey me, if you'll do what I ask of you, if you follow my will as best as you can, then I will grant these things. Whether it's as big a request as Joshua has, I'm going to pause the sun, or whether it's a smaller thing that we need. He says the size of the request doesn't matter because it's all smaller than God. But he's saying obedience is critical. Uh, it's critical. It, it's absolutely a paramount in this equation. And number two is prayer. You know, at times I think that, that I feel like a broken record talking about prayer, but, but you think back to Old Testament and New Testament Scripture, and there is not a more fundamental relationship connection that we have than with God through prayer. That is the way that we connect with Him on a daily basis. We know when we come together on the first day of the week, we connect with the Father through the Lord's Supper by, by remembering His Son and all of these things. We can, we can look in Scripture and study at home, but the way that we actually talk and petition to God is through prayer. And look in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, and let's look in verses uh, 12 and 13. Joshua 10, 12 and 13. This is the story I was referencing earlier. At the time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. This is the, the relationship that, that Joshua had with God. The, the, the nation of Israel was doing what God commanded. God had delivered their enemies to the hands of the Israelites. Joshua was afraid that they were going to lose their enemies in the nighttime. And he says, God, I need more sunlight. We need more sunlight to fight. And God says, it'll be done. And that's exactly what happened. And you notice it says he did it in the sight of Israel because he wanted that to be a faith builder for Israel. He said, I want you to see the God that you're serving. I want you to see the God that I serve, that I submit my life to, the only God that can pause the sun in midair. Prayer is such a critical part of our relationship to God. God has a never-ending supply of power. It's never a short supply of can God do it. It comes down to are we living a life where we are worthy of petitioning God for whatever it is. Now, let's not make the mistake of thinking that we can somehow work our way into God's good graces. We know that we're only there by His grace and mercy and through the blood of Christ. But He still says, listen, you need to obey my word, just like children aren't perfect, but they, they, they do something that is in the, the right way, and they're doing what they're asked, and they petition Mom and dad and mom and dad say, all right, that's a step in the right direction. We're going in the right way. I'm going to grant that. It's the way that the, our Heavenly Father 
looks at us. Look in, let's jump over to Mark chapter 9. This will be our one New Testament verse. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 24. This is when a father had brought his ill child to Jesus. It's doing actually verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. In verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This is where a lot of us are. He's saying, I believe God. I believe Christ. I believe Jesus but I need your help to get my mind where my heart is. I don't see how this could be possible, but I believe if it, if it is earthly possible, you're the one that can do it. And that's a lot of times where we have to be at, saying, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, belief and unbelief, you would think, would be counterintuitive, that you can't have belief and unbelief. And to a degree, that's true. But we can believe and, and, and trust and have faith in things, but still have questions and doubts. And God says, I understand that. This is why we have to dive into His Word to find these answers. That's why He says, approach me in prayer that I might reveal these things to you. He's saying, unbelief, doubt. You remember uh, last year we did a series called Faith and Doubt, where we're looking through the questions that we have. Questions are not a bad thing. But God says, I want you to seek me when you have them. I believe, but help my unbelief. God wants us to do big things. You know, I think back to, to Joshua, and I was reading through the book of Joshua earlier this week in preparation for this, but also just reading through the Old Testament. And something that occurred to me, I've, I've, I've taught Joshua two or three times over the years in different ways in sermons and classes and things, but you notice that in Joshua's case, God never moved, God never instigated anything until the nation of Israel moved. Look in our last verse tonight will be Joshua chapter 24. And then we'll wrap things up for the night. Joshua 24. In verse 31. said, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Kind of the cap on, on Joshua's life. Joshua started with a generation that had, had connections, very loose, lukewarm connections to God, but did not have the faith. But it says here, not only did they believe, Israel served the Lord for all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Saying that even beyond Joshua, generations to come, Joshua left the nation of Israel in better condition than when he found it. It wasn't like the, the way that he found it in which one generation died and the new generation didn't, didn't know about the God of Israel the way that they did. It says that the future generations were aware, they did believe, because of the faith that Joshua had. God never moved in Joshua's case until the nation of Israel moved. You remember when he's talking about crossing over the Jordan, it says that God didn't do anything until, until the nation of Israel stepped foot into the Jordan. 
Because that would have taken a tremendous amount of faith to begin with. God's saying, listen, I want you to take all of these people through this fast rushing water. And he's saying, when you step foot in it, I'm going to cause the water to stop. When the nation of Israel, when Joshua moved first, God followed in suit and said, listen, I'm now going to follow through. I'll protect you. So my question for you tonight that I hope that you'll take this home and, and consider this, pray about this. We've got a lot of challenges on deck with, with our Next Step series, but that's the way I like it. I hope that you're thinking at, at, uh, at home and at work throughout the week. I want you to write down one thing that you think is impossible. Something spiritually, you don't have to share this with anybody. Maybe it's somebody that you think is fallen away from faith. It's impossible to bring them back. I've invited them to church 50 times and they're never here. They've fallen away because the church burned them in some way. Somebody said something they shouldn't have and they want nothing to do with the church anymore. It's impossible. Maybe it's something, a health-related thing. It's impossible. Doctors can't do it. I want you to write down what your impossible is and then over the next coming weeks, in conjunction with our Next Step series, I want you to pray the way Joshua prayed. I don't want you to pray in the way that you and I have been taught to. In the traditional, I'm a Christian, this is the way I'm going to pray, right before bed, before meal, and, and you know, we've talked about that in our pray series. But I want, you to, I want you to lose all of that bondage that we have and, and pray big prayers the way Joshua did. Pray for your one. Pray for whatever it is that you just wrote down, that God would work in that the way he did for Joshua. It's the same God. God's not went anywhere. But Joshua had a tremendous amount of faith. God can do the impossible. God, Joshua glowed. He was a man of the Old Testament that it says even posterity, even generations down the road remembered Joshua because of the way he stood out, because of the way he connected with God in a very real way. What is your impossible? We all have it. We all struggle with it. And the question is, is how do we fix it? Certainly not by our own abilities or our own um, things that we can do. But we know that if we petition, petition the same God that did all this for Joshua, that all things are possible. We read that in New Testament scripture. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, you have the opportunity to serve that same God that, that, that hung the sun in his hair. That is the God that we have an opportunity to serve today by submitting to his son through the waters of baptism. If you're not a Christian tonight, would you make that choice? But if you are a Christian, like many of us here, this has something in your life, maybe that the impossible for you has gotten in the way of your personal faith journey. Maybe whatever you consider to be impossible, you've allowed that to kind of bleed over into your situation, and your faith has suffered because of, uh, of this situation that you're hoping God will help you out. If you need the prayers and support of this congregation, we'd love to help you with that. If you have any need at all, would you come forward as we stand and as we sing?